There's no greater rivalry in college sports than Duke and North Carolina. Welcome back to Tobacco Road, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Blue vs. Blue podcast, obsessively covering Duke and UNC into the NCAA tournament. Once again, it is college basketball Christmas time. Finally time for uh, the, the real postseason to start beyond the conference tournaments. Uh, since there wasn't much craziness this year in said conference tournaments, and the brackets have now officially been unveiled and uh, and it, it's a mix of emotions right now. So uh, joining me as always is is Bart Matthews on the Duke side of things, and this is Zeke Smith from uh, from the Carolina contingent. Man, uh, always a bridesmaid, never the bride, huh, Zeke? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it, guys are getting lots of, <laughs> lots of ACC tournament championship game experience. That's what you're that's what you're garnering. Well, three, I, three years in a row, runners up. Exactly. I think Roy is stuck. I think <laughs> very funny. Very uh-huh. funny. It's gonna be. It's gonna look a lot better than Duke's what you know sixth place in the ACC tournament. <laughs> um, I yeah, think Roy. Don't. I think Roy just has it stuck in his head that he can't win a national title when he wins the ACC tournament title. So <laughs> you know we want to push out as far as we can and then just give up the ghost a little bit in in the last few minutes. Wow, that that's a lot of strategy. Um... Uh, t- too much for my brain. Yeah, yeah you, I, didn't, you didn't think that could happen from a man who uh, wears a jacket as uh, visually, uh, you know, interesting as as uh, Roy Williams today. But oh boy, you know, it's a, you know, if if I if I had been watching closely, I would have had to stop watching closely. <laughs> um, it, it, so it was a uh, it's been a topsy turvy uh, emotional ride for you the last couple of days, huh? You got. You got some really good games out of your boys, and they made it to the finals, which is exciting, and they played well, which is good, and they lost to a good team, which should not surprise you, since that's what they've been doing all year, and... and Just sticking uh, that thing in there. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think it's, it's an interesting um, time for Carolina fans right now. There was, there was some moderate amounts of griping when the NCAA brackets came around, nice. but I think that's only because of how well relatively things fell for Carolina in the ACC tournament. Hey, I mean, what, yep. one of, one of the oh, big things on. that I feel like I realized after the second Duke matchup is that this is a Carolina team that is not constructed to really hang with Duke. Um, right. Yes. You know, they, they, they don't have driving guards to really take advantage of yep. Duke's um, struggles to guard the, the perimeter, uh, or not, not guard the perimeter rather, but guard against, you know, guard, uh, uh, perimeter guys who can slash and drive against them. Correct. So Carolina didn't really have any slashers, and they didn't Correct. really have a big guy um, to throw at Mason Plumley because McAdoo is, is, you know, gives up some size to Plumley, um, and, you know, the way that Carolina's been playing, it's a, it's a perimeter-oriented offense, but it's not one that really – uh, can slash and drive, like I said. So no, they 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 they've as we talked about before. You know, in a half court, Roy Williams is predicated on going inside out. So the, they come down, set up in the half court. They have to have a low post guy to feed it into. That sets up their three point game. Yeah. Um. And and that can neutralize the kind of defense also that that Duke plays potentially. But standing out, or moving around outside the perimeter, being that perimeter oriented, plays right into our hands and with no slasher, as you said. It's tough. 
So, so, uh, where, so where do you, where are you, where are you at right now? Um, because they did play well, but again, I might say a, a glass half empty. And I was kind of making fun, but in all seriousness, they. It, this is. The, I think UNC has one of the more remarkable looking uh, records I've seen in a while because literally they have no bad losses, zero bad losses, and also they have almost no quality wins. They have a win against. <laughs> they have a win against NC State at home, so that's an eight seed according yep. to the tournament committee, and they have a win against UNLV also at home and shorthanded without arguably their best player Mike Moser. UNLV is a five seed. Other than that, they got bupkis for good wins. And I think so, that's I think that's what really hurt them, you know, in the end and landed them where they were. You know, that, that was kind of why the Miami game was a little bit of a disappointment. All credit to Miami. They they are awesome to watch when they're clicking on offense. And, you know, Shane Larkin just absolutely beasted out in the ACC tournament and, and ultimately was way too much for Carolina to overcome. But had they won that game, I really wonder if they could have launched up a seed line or two. Because um, CBS just released the full list of seedings, and it seems like they put Carolina at the top of the eighth seed line and could have gotten you know a little bit higher had they won that Miami game. However, that Miami game seemed to me like about the ceiling for where we can expect Carolina to play. Um, yeah. they, they were hitting just unbelievably from, from three-point range. They had P.J. Hairston playing great despite, you know, the injury to his hand. Um, you know, they were limiting turnovers. They were playing decent defense, getting a few stops. Um, emphasis on few since Miami was absolutely lighting it up too. But that's kind of what we have come to expect from North Carolina, right? We know the problem is not going to be scoring. The problem is going to be getting stops. So when Always. they're – when they're scoring with another team that can score like Miami can, I feel pretty good about Carolina being in a game like that. Yes. You know, they've played in a number of games where other teams have kept going on huge scoring runs and Carolina has got left behind. Yes. Um, which didn't happen at any point in the Miami game, despite how hot Miami was, was playing for, you know, huge stretches at a time. Yes. So if Carolina can, can take that sort of momentum forward – that's nice. But overall, I, I still don't feel that differently about them, um, you know, than I did before the ACC tournament. And I don't I, think I would have changed my opinion had they had Duke beaten Maryland and then Carolina lost to Duke. It, it's sort of we keep testing it in all kinds of different ways. Yes. But it seems like Carolina is about what we think they are, which Duke is a quote, Denny Green. <laughs> they are who we thought they were. Exactly. And I mean that's what you're exactly 100% right and that's that's what I'm saying and the schedule completely reflects it. Like it reflects it with almost unerring accuracy that they are exactly who they are which is what you just described. I don't even think I have to elaborate on it. Like the ceiling is fixed for this team as it is currently comprised. And they will not lose to teams who have less talent than they do. But there are a number of teams that have more talent than they do. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of just the long and the short of it, right? Like yeah. you're and, and that'll be that that's why it'll be really interesting to watch them in this, you know, eight nine matchup, because those are teams that are usually pitted so tightly together. 
Um, yeah. And, you know, Villanova is, is probably going to give them a really good game. Those, those are two teams that seem um, really tightly matched. And also another thing to point out is that, um, you know, since the, it seems like there was a lot of um, competition for the last, you know, two number one seeds in the, in the committee's mind anyway, there isn't a great deal of difference between the number one seeds and the number two seeds in this year's tournament. So it didn't really matter a whole lot to me. Uh, whether Carolina got, say, an eight seed or a seven seed. Right. And and I think right. with the resume they had, it would have been really surprising to see them rise anywhere above a seven. Right. Um, yeah, I so, agree with that. So I'm not, I'm not too dissatisfied with things, with where things fell for them just in terms of seeding. <laughs> you know, we'll get, right. to, we'll get to the other bones to pick here momentarily. But before we move on, I have to ask, you know, since we are still talking ACC tournament vaguely uh, in the context of NCAA tournament, what exactly you feel like happened to Duke? And, and since we are tying it in with NCAAs, I noticed that, you know, you even mentioned this, I think, earlier, but it seems like a few fans were remarking that that game against Maryland felt a lot like last year's NCAA game against Lehigh, just in terms yeah. of how dead Duke came out. Uh, yeah. and, and how much more fired up, you know, the Terps were. So yeah. what, what, how, how did that make you feel? <laughs> it made me feel very bad. <laughs> I was sitting there watching it, and, like, when we went down 12 to 2, I had my head resting on my chin. I mean, my chin resting in my hands, and I don't think it moved from that spot for the remainder of the game. Um, <laughs> it was... It, it it was a lot like the Lehigh game in those sort of intangible regards where the other team was the aggressor uh, and Duke was flat-footed and was sort of left looking around trying to figure out what was going to happen to turn the tide and no one seemed able to. Uh, the first half was, in my opinion, the worst offensive half that Duke's played all year. Um, the only player that was attacking and aggressive was Rashid Suleiman, which is ironic. Yeah, since he's, that since he's been particularly poor. The script you know, was the totally flipped, completely flipped. Um, uh, and he was, he was, this is the thing. There was a lot of passivity on the Duke, and I guess flat-footed kind of says that, but Duke looked like con- they didn't know what to do offensively, which is really mysterious. Um, and then in the second half, the table they sort of figured it out offensively, but then couldn't stop Maryland at all. They couldn't stop Des Wells, period. Um, Ryan Kelly was uh, basically neutralized, and they had to put him on the bench at the end of the game just because he couldn't keep up and couldn't stay in front of Des Wells. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of invisibility going on. That's an, that's another word. Like the Duke seniors were invisible. Um, Mason made his presence felt, but also couldn't hold on to the ball. Seth was a no show, and Ryan. I mean, we can write that off as still making adjustments to getting back in the groove or whatever, but it doesn't change the fact that he was O for the field from three and just never got involved. Um, so that is all of those things, the, the sort of ineffectualness, the fecklessness of 
being unable to gather together as a group and do something about the fact that the other team is repeatedly punching you in the mouth. <laughs> um, and, and there was just no punch back. You know what I mean? And taking another team's best shot is something that we should be very used to. And playing against teams who are playing for their tournament lives or their lives to get into the tournament or whatever should also be something that we're used to. Yep. And, and, have, and you have three seniors so that that crap doesn't happen. Um, so I think, that, um, I think that Coach K was probably pretty mystified as how you get three seniors out there and, and perform like that. So, yes, to answer your question, it, it has people very concerned um, because they, coming out of the North Carolina game, looked like a team. I mean, literally, you, you probably saw the pundits, various pundits saying, wow, Duke is you know, probably uh, the you know, favorite to uh, th- them in Indiana or the favorites to make the tournament, probably looking at the number one overall seed. And then we go from that to being the bottom two seed in one game. Yeah, because it, it, we I mean, and nine, and and nine. also the the collective fan perception shifted so dramatically. Dramatically, you know, on on the last podcast that we did together, Alex was saying, you know, I would consider Duke to be the prohibitive title favorite, um, and you know, since then. I'm not saying Alex has changed his mind, but the vast majority of Duke fans are probably feeling really fearful right now that the Duke that showed up against Maryland in the ACC tournament could be, um, you know, the the Duke that shows up in the NCAA tournament. You bet. You bet. You bet. You bet. It is. If there are, there is no Duke fan who is looking at that. uh, I mean, we're not going to look past Albany, but. Okay, so like getting to obviously we're not going to because they're a 15 seed, but Creighton, there's there's no no none of no Duke fan is brimming with confidence about that game now. There is there is a a strong lack of confidence, and again, it's not that we lost. But anyone who watched that game, Carolina fan, Duke fan, or otherwise, had to be amazed not that Duke lost, but that how completely out of it they seemed yeah that's exactly right one one of the things that i think has been really interesting watching both duke and carolina this year is that uh one lesson that carolina has learned really well over the course of the year is is for certain guys to pick up the slack when other guys seem to be falling down yeah and so that's why you know one game you'll get mcadoo having a great game one game you'll get Bullock having a really great game. One game you'll get Hairston having a fantastic game. Yeah. Um, and it's not always necessarily all of them together. Right. It, you'll usually look at the stat sheet, and one of those three guys has had a 3 of 11 day. That's true. Um, but, but it seems like with Duke, they all seem to feed on each other's positive or negative energy energy collectively. Yeah. Um, mm. That and they that, rise and fall more as a more as a unit. Yeah, and that doesn't even reflect in the statistics necessarily. But for example, you could just feel it that first game that Kelly came back that they were playing with so much energy because he was, you know, hitting early shots and screaming at his own bench, and yeah. you know, it, it wasn't that everybody else all of a sudden was making every shot that they were making, but they were playing with great energy on defense, uh, and everybody in that arena seemed fired up. 
So yeah, I, I wonder it, it if has... it is a, a case of you know once some of those guys get down in the mouth a little bit, the other guys around them are really affected by that. It very well could be. I think it's a. I think it's a great point. A lot of people speculated this week that maybe Duke was reading its own press a little too much, um, <laughs> but which is really unusual. You don't hear that said about Duke very much, but that we got caught sort of thinking we could just roll out there and and perform. But what make, what makes your comment that you just made really interesting to me is how I think about the games in which Duke has performed really badly. And I said it about the Maryland game. Duke missed three wide open point blank shots in the first uh, five minutes of the game. Mm. And we talked about this before, how if they don't see the ball go in, they sort of enter into this collective, if not panic, sort of like confusion or malaise. Um, And it's, and it is a, and it seems to be a collective thing. And and what I might posit to support your point is that there's a, not a lot of strong individual will on the Duke team. Like Kelly is a, is very intelligent and a good organizer. Mason is a strong and a hard player. Seth is a great offensive scorer, but hardly speaks. Like yeah. he he's about as non-demonstrative as a player as you will ever see. So collectively. Right. If everybody's talking and all the pieces are in place and everything's going right, and you see the shots, a couple shots go down, like in the North Carolina game. If you build some positive momentum, things can go really, really well. But there isn't the guy who's just going to be like, OK, enough of this crap. Like, let's go. Like, and, and maybe and maybe Suleiman can step into that gap in the next couple of years. But he's the best candidate. You're absolutely right. He is the best candidate personality wise to be that guy. But he's not that guy right now. Yeah. So, so that'll be, I mean, that'll be really interesting to see how Duke responds if somebody kind of pops him in the mouth a little bit moving forward. We'll, we'll, yeah. talk, we'll talk about Duke's part of the bracket um, and just the, the nightmare path that everybody in the Midwest has to the, the Final Four in just a second. But before we get there, let's do just a, another brief mention of the rest of the ACC tournament. Yeah. Since we were already speaking about Malays in general. <laughs> Um, and you know, we, we had, we had preempted talking about the ACC tournament by saying it could be a crazy tournament, um, you know, with a lot of upsets and then just some really unexciting games. Dude, I am, I, it's really like, I'm feeling just brutalized. Like (laughs) I I really, I'm so can't wait for next year when we get this influx of Syracuse, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. It can only make things better, Zeke. The, the the best game of the first two days was BC versus Miami. That tells you everything you need to know, and that and that finished as what like a fifteen point game in the end. Uh Something no, like, maybe, maybe not quite actually. Yeah, it was it was like eight or nine. I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it was tied with three minutes left. Right. But but yeah, man, it was it was Clunkerville. Um, we were our, our our hopeful ideals were dashed against the rocks of pathetic reality. Um, they at, to talk about specifics, of course, we could talk about NC State, who looked good in the first two games, yep. at least, and then did not look good. And then at looked all. like you know what we've seen from them for much of the ACC season against Miami. 
Yeah. I, think, I mean, I think Virginia and NC State both sealed their collective fates with their performance in the ACC tournament. Yeah. Um, you know, I, NC State looked like they could make some noise with how badly they beat Virginia, pushing Virginia well out of the NCAA conversation, I think. Um, and then just looked so flat against Miami that they earned themselves the eight seed that they ended up getting. Yeah, Richard Howell hurt his thigh, um, had an ongoing thigh injury. Yeah. Um, Zoe Brown was bad. Like, just Miami's backcourt just completely abused State in, in every way, shape, and form. Yeah, and just turnover after turnover, you know, at the wrong kind kinds of times. Um, yeah. And yeah. C.J. Leslie looking equal parts impressive and awful. Except for a the team Eagles. with no head, Zeke. We've been saying it all year. A, a body, a strong, muscular body with no head. Yeah. Um, and so, and then we had, we already talked about it, but Miami looked fantastic. And Shane Larkin made me eat my words in, in so far as claiming that he did not deserve as many second place player of the year votes in the ACC as he got. He looked every bit of that. Um during the tournament. Yeah, especially in the final against UNC, which turned out to be the only really outstanding game of the tournament, that, I, I think. Yes. It, I, it, it was a really good back-and-forth game that that bodes really well for both of those teams in the NCAAs, you would think. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still nervous that that was a little bit of a ceiling game, not only for UNC, but for Miami as well. Because huh. they could very well – I mean, they've, they've shown that when they get a little disinterested, that they can let teams back into a game. Um, and if they're playing a team that wants to shoot it out like Carolina does, then they're going to be fine. But if they're playing some team that might grind out kind of a low-scoring game – Like Georgia Tech? Yeah. Or Wake yeah, like Forest? Georgia Tech. Or they even you know struggled uh, – what was it, against Clemson? They, they kind of struggled in that game yeah. for a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, Boston College when they slowed it down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It. So that that's going to be something to watch for for me. You know, I know yeah, Miami I, has a ton of experience, uh, and I've I already saw a lot of people penciling them into the the Final Four. You know, in terms of the experts brackets, as they were giving their very early Final Four picks in the uh, in the bracketology show see, for CBS. But to touch on something, and we can wrap up the ACC tournament with this. Um, it, the way it used to be and, and the way the Big East tournament is and a lot of, um, let's say like the, um, to some extent, um, the Big Big 12 or whatever, not the Big 12, but the, uh, the former Big 10. Um, you, it's great to see games where one team wins, but the other team, the losing team plays well. And that's what we don't see anymore yeah. and have seen for years in the ACC tournament. It's always... I mean, one team might play well, but the other team just plays like crap. Like a, a team where a, a game wherein both teams play really well and one team has to lose because the other team played better. Those are the games that are few and far between. And you're, you're lucky to get more than one or two in the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like who wants to lose it? often not who really wants to win it and and sometimes that's kind of a dream scenario for the losing team really is feeling like your team you know balled out but ran up against a team that has yeah. more talent than them yeah uh, right and, that, and that's kind of how 
I don't think there were too many UNC fans that were really bummed out about that performance against Miami just because of how well Miami played. Yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah, here, here's hoping that the postseason ends the same way. <laughs> um, and speaking of which, let, so let's spend just a few minutes uh, here to, to close out the podcast talking about the, the big bracket, the NCAA bracket. Um, yeah. Now, Overall impressions seem to be from from you know everywhere everything I've seen on Twitter um, and just a few early articles that the committee didn't make any mistakes in the teams that they left out um, and chose not to put in the field like a Tennessee or a Kentucky or something like that. Yeah. Um, but they did seem to have some bizarre decisions when it came to seeding. Yeah. Is that is that your immediate impression looking at the whole thing? Yeah, that's exactly my impression and I think we're going to hear a lot of that over the next couple of days is just sort of queries into and I was wondering about this like what what they would seem to use as deciding factors given how small the margin is between the teams. Like what what is going to be your criteria in terms of distinguishing these, you know, eight to 12 teams at the top. Well, really like the, the top, the ones in the twos and how they mix together. And it's just, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of consistency. We talked a little bit briefly um, before we started the podcast about it. It seems like they automatically gave tons and tons of weight, heavy weight to you. If you won your regular season and your conference tourney, like that just, vaulted you up regardless yeah um the the two exceptions to that uh are duke and georgetown okay and the top the ones and the twos neither duke well, nor and even indiana really who they, well, they they kept on the one line I, excuse me you're you're absolutely right they did they did keep indiana on the one line so they they loved the big 10 formerly the big 10 and they loved the big east um, and those were clearly the two best conferences in basketball. I don't think anyone has beef with that. They really punished the ACC. Yeah, and, they, they basically said up yours to the ACC and yeah. the Pac-10. Yeah. Or the, yeah. the Pac-12 or the Pac-15 or whatever it is now. <laughs> um, but I think I think the Pac-10 didn't get a seed any higher than a six. Yeah, man. Um, which is pretty pretty crazy. I mean, at least the ACC got their two twos and uh, two eight seeds, but yeah. And giving Duke the the giving Duke essentially what is the worst of the two seeds by by putting them in Louisville's bracket, the, the overall number one, that makes Duke, according to them, the worst of the twos. Um, which I have to think that means that Duke was not in the conversation for a one before they lost to Maryland. It's a little hard to imagine them going from the putative number one overall seed to the bottom of the two seeds with one loss. But maybe maybe the tournament committee lost as much confidence in Duke as, as the Duke fan base uh, after that loss. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. And Bart, you probably haven't even seen this because it just got released. Um, I was looking at the the committee released their one through sixty eight list, uh-huh. um, and it looks it, from what they're saying, Louisville was one. Then they put Kansas two, Indiana, huh? Indiana three, Gonzaga four, and then Miami is five, and Duke is six. So uh, they put the second 
two seed with the number one overall seed? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and they also put Miami with um, with the with the number three uh, one seed, which honestly Kansas and Indiana should have been flipped there, probably. Yeah. Um, but just yeah, just some uh, some some poor decision making even at the top right there. So let's delve into the Midwest a little bit because not only did it feel like Duke probably got a little jobbed getting stuck in that con- in that uh, bracket, but really Louisville yeah. should be pretty pissed at the selection committee. Yeah, they should. Like we were saying before, like if I was Louisville, I would be like, "Don't do us any favors, man." I tell you what, next time put us at the number four one seed and stick us out west. We'd be real happy with that. Like, yeah, yeah they get they get potential matchups against Duke or Michigan State. You know, like, and before that, uh, they would have to play St. Louis, who who is kind of a, a beast in the Ken Palm rankings, and I think is a is like a top ten RPI team, maybe. Yeah. Or Oklahoma State, who's you know beaten Kansas on the road, and uh, is yeah. one of those teams that can get uber hot on any given night. Uh, yeah, it's it's. I mean, as we said, also, I mean, it, the, the the field such as it is. You're going to have to beat somebody good, and, and you're going to be facing a really tough matchup early on. Yeah. But it's really hard to see in this Midwest. I mean, it's the group of death, like, w- without question, uh, in my mind. It's so top-heavy. And, and maybe that's what the, the seeding questions that we're bringing up, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of balance, which is why you're supposed to give the bottom two seed to the top one seed. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the reason why you do that. The whole, um, yeah, the whole thing just seems weirdly weighted, and I can't quite figure out what the committee's thinking was with with some of these with some of these regions. I mean, when you break it down, sure, there are good teams in each region, but it just seems like there are so many dangerous teams in the Midwest and in the South um, yeah. that the the distribution just seems bizarre. Yeah, it's it's. You, you've got some real weird outliers in in all regions, like some strange, uh, like Pitt, who you know has a Ken Palm RPI of seven, and who has an identical record to Marquette, and played just a slightly different out of conference schedule. Pitt is a, is an eight seed, and Marquette's a three. Yeah, and and that, Oregon, who struggled a little bit. Um, you know, down the stretch, but ended up winning the Pac, uh, the Pac-12 championship as a 12 seed. Um, which yeah, I think is is one of the biggest head scratchers for there, a lot of people. There's just a lot of yeah. There's a lot of wide swings that don't really seem to make a lot of sense. Let's bring it back to the Midwest just for a second and and look a little more specifically. Um, we we've got Duke against Albany. Um, you know, as we mentioned before, and then a potential matchup in the second round uh, against Creighton, um, which is potentially pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, but not not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but looking at that matchup against Michigan State, um, you had mentioned that uh, you feel like that's a that's potentially a pretty good matchup for Duke, although that no one wants to play a Tom Izzo team in the tournament. Right. And and Duke does have trouble. Uh, on the boards, and that's not something that Michigan State ever has trouble with. 
Um, yeah, what, do you, mean, what do you see of, in that matchup? So, so I think that just looking at the Midwest region and how stacked it is, you know, you, you have to be a little bit worried. But when you actually look at the matchups that Duke is facing down the road, they shake out pretty well for Duke, I think. Creighton, like, I, I know they have Doug McDermott who can score 40 on a given night yeah. um, and who looks dangerous. But if you looked at how they performed over the course of the year, they really struggled in their conference tournament. And they were even being talked about as a bubble team at, at a few points um, in the middle of, uh, of their conference schedule. Mm-hmm. So, you know, highly inconsistent teams is something that Duke tends to feast on. Yeah. Um, tends to, you know, excluding Maryland, for example. But, yeah. uh, but, but especially, you know, if Duke is, is playing a guy who could go for 35 points, you would rather have that guy be a relatively slow-moving, tall, white dude than a lightning-quick, you know, point guard or shooting guard who can yeah. uh, slash and kick and create opportunities a la Lehigh last year. Uh, agreed. Right. Exactly. And, and then Michigan having, State having six five six six player liked as well as we mentioned, being that guy that hurts you is not what Duke wants. Yeah, and and Michigan State is always you know a great defensive and rebounding team, but doesn't seem to have you know has seemed to struggle to keep up with better scoring teams in the Big Ten. Yeah. Um, you know they've struggled largely against Michigan. They've struggled against Indiana. Yeah. So. That alone makes me feel like I'm probably penciling Duke into the Elite Eight. Yeah, right I'd now. rather play Michigan State in that round than uh, Florida, to be honest with you, because of Florida's guard play. Right. Uh, and I'd rather face them than New Mexico with New Mexico's athleticism. Um, and Marquette, as we already discussed, I'm not sure Marquette should be on the three line. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I would take Marquette any day. Uh over any of those three teams. But point being, I know Duke fans initially, of course, saw this and were like, oh, my God, we, we got screwed. You know, everybody always feels that way for the most part. Not always, <laughs> but, but a great deal of the time you're not like, oh, sweet. This is going to be a cakewalk. And no one was thinking that this year anyway. Right. Um, so let's uh, zip over to uh, to Carolina's region. We've already, we already touched on the fact that seating-wise, you're, you're not necessarily uh, – not necessarily feeling outraged by the seeding. However, a second-round matchup <laughs> against Kansas in Kansas City awaits you. Yeah. And Should I, and you I, be so fortunate as to advance against Villanova, which you can talk a little bit about also. I don't know much about Villanova, to be honest. So. Yeah, I, I don't know a great deal about Villanova. They're probably like a lot of other Villanova teams. They have skilled wings, um, and they play pretty good defense. From what, I've, from what I remember seeing of Villanova this year – they have kind of a trapping, uh, high-pressure style, which will be really interesting to see how Carolina handles that because... Yep, Marcus Page. Yeah. Paging and, Marcus Page. And he's, and he's come a long way, but has still struggled some whenever Carolina has been up late in games and other teams have decided to put full-court or uh, you know, half-court traps into place against the heels. Yeah. Um, so if they struggle with that early... That could be bad, and yeah. then the the Kansas the Kansas game is pretty annoying to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, like you said, I understand Carolina being an eight. I I really could have seen them as a seven when you stack them up side by side with the other four teams that were a seven: San Diego State, Notre Dame, Illinois, Creighton, 
They they beat all of those teams in terms of RPI. They beat all all of those teams in terms of strength of schedule. They're about even with all of those teams against the top 100, and they finished the year better than any of those teams. So it, it, it's a little annoying, but not so egregious that I'm you know tearing my clothes and yeah uh, and weeping and gnashing my my teeth. But I but I think. And the committee has told people time and time again that they don't pick teams based on storylines or narratives. Yes. But I just I see that second round matchup and I call shenanigans. You, you are incredulous. You call shenanigans on this St. Patrick's Day. I, I do, oh, sir. Touch, touch, touch. I, shenanigans it is. I I just I can't believe that they didn't that they weren't wringing their hands over the ratings that that potential matchup would bring. And especially, and the fact that that Roy is zero and two against Kansas uh, in the NCAA tournament, you know, and going back to Kansas City, I, uh, yeah, I, I love you Tar Heels, but I just I don't see things particularly ending well for them. I mean, you know, Mar- Maryland played them tight, and Kansas is like a a rich man's Maryland. They are like a. Oh. Interesting. A Middle Eastern sheiks version of Maryland. Wow. You know, the they Sultan, the Sultan of Brunei. Of, yeah. They, yeah. Jeff Withy is sort of an Alex Len ish player who right. can show up on offense on any given game, but, but really gives you an interior presence, shot blocking presence. Yes. Yes. And then they have, you know, a much better, more consistent Des Wells in Ben McLemore. Yes. Who um, is, is a slasher and just incredible athlete. Great mid-range game, and the thing which the thing which would really concern me from a Carolina perspective is that they have great defense and great defensive pressure yeah. on the perimeter. They have great defensive pressure on the perimeter, and a and a really big, tall guy who, as you said, is a great shot blocker to erase any mistakes they might make. A, a strong sort of dig your heels in defensive team. Um, is not who UNC wants to see yeah. at all. And the, and the only weakness that Kansas really has is that, is that once again, they don't particularly have an outstanding point guard. Um, and unfortunately, you know, like I said, Marcus Page has come a long way. We're all very proud of him. Yeah. Uh, but he's just not the guy to exploit that matchup in a second-round NCAA tournament game, or third-round, excuse me, uh, NCAA tournament game. What would... What would UNC have to do to beat Kansas? Uh, absolutely shoot the lights out from three, presumably, and then just hope that things, you know, break the other way for them a little bit. I think, yeah, I think, yeah that's a tough one. They've got to get a great defensive game out of somebody like Reggie Bullock because um, mm. Kansas has really outstanding wings that can kill you. So yeah. if, if Bullock and Hairston played really well on the defensive side, then I, you know, I could see things going well. And if they got some of those, if they got some of Kansas' danger players like Macklemore in early foul trouble, yeah, um, you know, the the only game that I saw some of Kansas lose this year was against Oklahoma State, where basically Marcus Smart took over in that game and was just scoring lights out. And and again. Carolina can't really expect Marcus Page to do that as a point guard, so they would have have to have somebody else exploit some kind of matchup. And the only way that could happen is if Kansas gets in foul trouble. Yeah. Um, so it would have to be a combination of any number of factors. I think. Yeah. 
I agree with that. I, I don't. I, does Kansas have much length? They have Perry Ellis, um, who's a very good player. Um, outside of Withy, do they have much uh, length in the post? Do you think? Because that's another thing I would concern me from a, from a small ball perspective. Um, yeah, I, th- a- I think they're a relatively good rebounding team. I would have to look at their um, whole roster breakdown just to see a little bit better, but. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not feeling great about it right now. And the other thing that a lot yeah. of Carolina fans have pointed out is that you know this is Carolina's lowest seed that they've ever gotten in the NCAA tournament, and the last time that they were an eight seed, they made it. They made a run to the Final Four in wow. 2000. But I would really I argue that, that I don't remember that. Apparently, I have blocked it out of my mind. Oh, <laughs> good for you. No, that was the that was uh, Brendan Haywood. Uh, who else was on that team? Anton Jameson was he still playing? In two thousand? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, when, when was that? When was, I remember oh, they ended up losing to a Mike Miller-led Florida uh, team. Florida team in the Final Four. That, was that Rashad McCants? No, 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 not quite. Um, let's see, uh, the two thousand tournament. Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay, well. Well, but, but anyway, that team was a very different team just in terms of makeup. They, they were a team that had underachieved all year under Bill Guthridge. Um, and this is a team that, as we were sort of saying, is pretty much who we thought they were. Yeah. Um, they, yeah, I mean, they, they beat teams that they were better than, and they lost the teams who were better than them. Yeah. So and we, we don't expect that to change. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So Zeke, uh, in in closing, uh, what do you think? Let's just do a uh, a sort of flash uh, impression um, final four. Okay, shall we? You sure. want to just? I mean, don't we don't have to apply a great deal of thought or, or rationale? There'll will be there'll be there'll be more time. Don't bring for, too much. Don't, don't bring too much analysis into this. Because you know why? Because it never it never helps anyway. Sure. With this. Um, uh, the more analysis you do, the, the less correct you're likely to be, uh, in all honesty. So let's go with uh, – let's just go region by region. Sure. Uh, uh, give me your gut for, uh, for the Midwest. Uh, Louisville has just been really, really good late. Yeah. I, I mean, I always like teams that are carrying momentum into the tournament, yeah. um, and especially now that they not only have all of their guards playing really well, Peyton Silva, uh, Russ Smith, but Georgie Deng seems to be playing – particularly well and it's sort of putting them over the top they've got they've got height they've got great guard play uh and they play defense yeah Uh, and those are all really good things and they made the final four last year and they made the final four last year very experienced team yeah yeah so as stacked as that region is i still see them coming out of it yes okay what about Uh, you any anything different i would not i would not argue with that at all um I, uh, a Louisville-Michigan State or a Louisville-Duke matchup in the um, in the Elite Eight would be pretty kick-ass, uh, regardless. <laughs> far, what, do you, what do you think, how far would you bet your life on right now if you had to uh, Duke getting? Do you think Sweet 16? Do you think Elite Eight? Uh, Sweet 16. Sweet 16? Okay. Yeah, I just can't. I, but, but, again, I'm, I'm so, like wounded from what I had to sit through in the ACC tournament that, I mean, if we see the Duke that showed up against Carolina in the first two games, talk to me then. 
um, you know, I'll, I will have changed my tune, but I'm going to need to see it, you know, before I start picking them to be able to beat Michigan State. I'll put that right now. So out, out in the West, yeah. um, we have Gonzaga as the one seed, Ohio State as the two. Um, who do you see coming out of that region? Uh, I really like Ohio State. Um, once again, a team that uh, has a lot of experience. Aaron Kraft, when he scores and becomes an offensive threat, which he was for most of the Big Ten, whatever it is, tournament, um, they are really dangerous. He is an amazing defensive player. They have a legit uh, scoring threat um, in Thomas. Um, They are tough-nosed. So they, once again, they have good guard play. They have a guy that can carry the team offensively, potentially, and they play great defense, and they're hot also. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, dark, dark Horse, New Mexico. Yeah, I really yeah. like New Mexico coming out of this this region, actually, because mm-hmm. um, the couple of times that I've seen them this year, they look like a really strong defensive team. Um, they're, they're sort of a, a well-balanced team. I know they had uh, you know one of their guys go for 40 early in the year or, or yeah. whatever it was, but for the most part, they seem like they have multiple guys who are really athletic, they rebound really well as a team. Uh, Steve Alford's a good coach. Steve Alford's a good coach. So all of that together, and especially playing out west, where they're a relatively minor fan base that is pretty a pretty rabid fan base will travel to. So yeah. I, and I look think that out, give them a little bit of an advantage. And I, and I always say look out for Wisconsin because that style that they play is so brutal and physical that most people have no idea how to respond to it. And they could be very problematic if they get to play Gonzaga. Um, Wisconsin will just punch you right in the face. It's the ultimate of that kind of Midwestern um, just grind it out basketball. And they're, for me, like, you must might as well pencil them into the Sweet 16 every year. Like, they always seem to get at least that far. Yeah, perennial yeah. tournament yeah. overachiever. Yep, yep, exactly. Uh, okay, uh, so moving on to the South. Kansas yeah. is the one there. Georgetown, the two. Anybody you like coming out of there particularly? Uh, UNC out of this. Uh, oh, wait, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I don't know about this one. This is the, this is the bracket that I am the most up in the air about I, there's a lot of potentially exciting matchups here. Um, I'm, I'm not particularly drawn to any one team, although Michigan as a four seed, ah, they're good. I really I, hate that Michigan and VCU have to play each other in, yeah. in the second round. Cause I, I really I like both of those teams. Yes. I can't wait to see that game. Trey Burke is very, very good. And Tim Hardaway Jr., also very, very good. I was surprised that Michigan got a four and not a three. That yeah, they, yeah. In, in my opinion, they should have been the three instead of Marquette. Um, so I, I'm going to I'm gonna put Michigan there, actually, as a okay. – I'll, I'll okay. take Michigan. Qu- quick hit. I'll take Michigan. Okay. Okay. I, I would I, actually go with Florida. I mean, a couple of the times when I've seen them, like you said, their guard play is outstanding. They're another sure. team that seems to – Outperform expectations the majority of times in the yeah, tournament. They do, and uh, and you know, you know, I'm really I'm, surprised that they lost to Ole Miss in the SEC tournament final. To be honest, so that mm-hmm. could be a little bit of a wake up call for them because they were rolling in that first half. I think they were up by, you know, something like 12 or 13 at, at the break. Yeah, so, I, I would 
I would not I would not be surprised by a, a Michigan Florida um, Elite Eight matchup there, which would also be entertaining. Yeah, which again, lots lots of great guards in there. Yeah. Um, and finally, in the East, Indiana, Miami, the top two there. Uh, who do you see out of that? that well, I, I mean, there's just no Miami got a nice little present from the committee. It, there's just no reason to think they won't make the Elite Eight, and mm-hmm. I I don't see. Anyone, I mean Syracuse, Indiana. I, I I could could see that being an interesting game, but I look at I look at Indiana, Miami uh, as playing uh, in the Elite Eight, and that I, I would have to take Indiana in that game. Yeah, this this feels a lot like UNC's region last year to me, where pretty much everyone was penciling UNC and Kansas into the Elite Eight from the start, and that's exactly what ended up happening because those were the the clear best two teams. In that region, yeah, um, and I would argue that that that's pretty much what it looks like over here: Indiana and Miami in the Elite Eight, and I would say Indiana in that matchup. Wow, I just picked three Big Ten teams into the Final Four. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you you live uh, you live by your your instincts, you die by your instincts. Bart, yeah, Bart. yeah, I, I, I subject to change. Tune in. <laughs> The final uh, bracket may look something a little different than, than what we just talked about. But so, yeah, like uh, you said, that's that's why they're called gut reactions. Exactly. All of our all of our listeners should check back into the to the blog for our our hilarious and entertaining region by region breakdown. As always, we will have uh, such things as the all region name team, uh, best mascots, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So check back with blue versus all week for tournament coverage. We're going to have previews of. Uh, the Duke and Carolina matchups, obviously, and uh, lots more to look forward to, including our specialty tournament group, which is graded on a scale which rewards upsets. So be sure to be on the lookout for that. Uh, thanks, as always, for uh, another great podcast, Mr. Uh, Bart Matthews, for joining us. Oh, Duke! Get it together. And, that's right. And uh, a, a little bit of a meh, go Carolina from me. <laughs> Your your uh, your host Zeke Smith, with a still relatively modest set of expectations going into the NCAA tournament here. That's why they play the games, kids. Good night, good luck, and go heels. This is uh, us signing off at Blue versus Blue. Thanks for listening. Uh, is it just